Welcome to Demond Does, and we're having a COVID conversation about mental health with author, speaker, and licensed mental health counselor, Brittany Johnson. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So you're trained in trauma-focused cognitive behavior, behavioral, and collaborative problem solving, and also EMDR, which I found fascinating. How do you describe your therapy method? Like, how do you assess and choose which modality to use? Like, how do you choose tools in your toolbox to use? I look at what the client is telling me that they've experienced. Um, I do, I ask several questions that allow me to assess. Are you a person that can kind of maintain enough of your, of your own emotions to handle something like EMDR or are you a person that's better suited with doing, with processing your trauma through therapy or talk therapy? And so based on how a person responds and also what you say you want, like I have a lot of people who come to me simply because I do EMDR. So they have researched EMDR and feel like it will be beneficial. And so they walk in day one and they're like, I want to do EMDR. I still assess them to make sure that they're, that they're a good candidate. And I've only probably had out of, let's say 200 clients, I've probably had three that I just were like, "Mm -mm, EMDR is just not going to be good for you. And then we talk about that. Mm. And so for other people, we just take longer to get to the actual buzzing or tapping or eye movement part. We might do a lot more stabilization. And so that's kind of how I choose the modality. In terms of method, I definitely like to simplify things and I like to get to the root. So there are some therapists who are just going to give you coping skills. And so you can't have a coping skill ever again. Like they're just going to load you up with coping skills. I like to dig down deep to figure out what's actually causing it and then change that for you as opposed to just giving you um, a band aid. Coping skills are great. And we definitely use those as we're going through the process, but I don't stop there. So that would be my method, I guess. What is a common misconception people have about mental health? I think the most common misconception is that mental health is a death sentence. So I hear people often say, well, I was told I have this diagnosis and now my life is over or I'm never going to have a normal life or normal relationship again because of this mental illness. Um, that's the, the probably the most common. The second most common would be, I'm crazy, therefore people are never going to take me serious again. Don't give away the whole uh, basket, but how, how do you help people <laughs> uh, jump, skip that hurdle? How do you get, get past, how do you help people get past that? Yeah. So definitely <laughs> psycho. <laughs> it, it does look, it say, right? different. Right, it does. It looks different for each person because it depends on where it's coming from. And so psychoeducation is always my go-to with just educating people on mental health, mental, mental wellness, mental illness, like the whole nine. I also spend a lot of time with the individual to understand their beliefs about it and to make sure that the beliefs they have are there and not something that they've just taken on from a family member or um, the media or the, you know, the community as a whole. And so once you can be clear on what your beliefs are, for most people, they don't have that belief about themselves. They don't believe that they are crazy and never going to have a happy, successful life again. Mm. Wow. My daughter is a social butterfly. She is extremely extroverted and she's mm-hmm. had some issues dealing with, you know, just 
now things are, you know, changing. As a parent, how can, you know, how can we help our children deal with their feelings of anger or loneliness during this isolation? And how do we explain COVID-19 to them? Let's start with explaining COVID-19. Um, there are lots of age-appropriate things that you can say. So for l- really little kids, you can explain it as there's a new illness that they that the doctors and scientists don't have a cure for yet. So to be safe, we're staying in the house, or we're going to distance, and we're going to wear masks until we have more information. And then with each age group, you can add more detail to what you're saying about the illness, how it's transmitted, what we're doing. I think the most important thing that parents can do is to explain it to their kids from a standpoint of this is how our house is operating. Because what it, what is happening and has happened is my house might be strictly following social distancing, but your house is not. And so if we give this blanket statement to kids that everybody has to stay in because it's the safest thing, and then they see other people not staying in, and that starts to lead questions, and then that starts to mess with trust. And so definitely making sure that you are making statements like, this is what's most important to our house. This is how our house is going to do it. So that would be how I would explain it. That way, when you do start going out more or changing the rules, you can go right back to remember that our house does it this way. I would say helping your kids deal with it, the best thing to do is just listen and take out this belief we have as parents that we always have to be in control of of our kids' emotions and just allow them space to feel whatever they're feeling. As long as they're not destroying your house or they're not hurting themselves or anyone else, just allowing them to say what they need to say. And then at the end of it, asking them, what do they need from you in that moment? Do you need us to fix this or do you just want to be heard? Keep it simple. Right. Yeah. The more you add to it, the more questions and make sure you've read up enough that you feel comfortable with how you want to explain it. So for my house, luckily my, my children are ages between 10 and 18. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation was a lot different for them because they're already older. And so we were able to just explain it as an illness that, you know, is transmitted right now. We think just through, you know, somebody sneezing or coughing on you, but it could be breathing on you because we don't know yet. It's kind of new and new. And so it also kind of worked out that they were learning about diseases from the old days. And so we were able to link it to like smallpox or mm. the flu back in, you know, the 1900s right. so that they can see like, oh, when there's a new disease, this is what we have to do until we have more information. Mm. But for little ones, you definitely don't want to be getting into detail about how it's transmitted per se. Thank you. Once again. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so for your daughter, with her being an extrovert, is, is it possible to set up online play dates? Yes, probably. <laughs> I need to look. I need, I'll make the executive decision and we'll look into that. <laughs> because, that you know, as an extrovert, well, I'm not an extrovert, but I do understand for extroverts, it is about people, connection, social interaction. And mm-hmm. so, maybe, you know, I've had friends who have kids as young as five. They get on FaceTime and let the kids just go. Mm. And some of them are able to do even like a Zoom play date, but there's other platforms that have been created for even younger kids where they can kind of get on and you all as parents can monitor, but they're just kind of playing together. 
or talking. I don't know how old she is, but, you know, looking at something like that, the yeah, same she, way we would do for an adult. Right. Right. She's, she's uh she is now a second grader. She's going to be in big. Okay. She's going to be a big second grader. So, oh, wow. Yes. Fun times. Those that, are fun years. <laughs> Sometimes most, most of the time, most of the time. Yes. Most of the time. Yes. <laughs> Fun for all the reasons. Right. She feels she has yeah. all the feelings. All the feelings. Uh-huh. <laughs> all yes. of them. Like at all. Yes. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It is. It is. Like, whoa, that's a lot in there. <laughs> like, and you just got it, and that's all you you're you're three feet tall and that's all you got you got all that in. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And yes, pop- it's all in there. And I apologize to my parents, uh, you know, monthly. <laughs> Yes, uh, just I to understand. get them all, just to get them all in. It was like, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Thank, and thank you for not for allowing me to live. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. You know, at that at her age, it's almost like you are all of the emotions that you're going to experience in life. Almost like they get dumped into their brains between the ages of like eight, or let's say seven and nine. And so, if you like those those two years, you will see a lot of tears and a lot of ranges of emotion and everything will be a big deal. And then it'll taper out around like 10 to 12, but then here comes teenage years and then it's like fair game until they're about 17. <laughs> <laughs> from, from 13 to 17, there it's like an alien. Like they don't know, you don't know. No one knows. <laughs> Everybody's walking out. <laughs> Everybody's just like, I don't know. I, I've got nothing today. I have no idea what's going on. Okay, so I have more to look forward to, and I'm not in it by myself, per se. No, not at all. We are all <laughs> it's not just me. Not at all. And what's super interesting is, like, fourth grade is a huge turning point for girls. And so... I experienced that this year with my own daughter. She was in the fourth grade, so she's going to be a big fifth grader now. Um, and I didn't experience this with my sons. And so I was talking to some of my colleagues and even like some of the, you know, school staff. And they were like, oh, yeah, fourth grade for girls is where all the drama shows up. So they're, they've cleared out some of those initial hormones, but now they're about to enter into this phase of we're going to be the top dogs in school. So they get a jump start in fourth grade. Oh, wow. That's. Yeah. It is an interesting phenomenon. Wow. That's... Let me. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had it to high school for the female girl hormone, like cat fighting to start. But, oh, no, it is fourth grade. Wow. That's. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. yeah. Um, we're talking about extroverts. Um, my wife gets my daughter gets that from my wife, and we were talking uh, the other day, um, talking about some. She sometimes has a, a little bit of anxiety about being back in public, and then you have some people who don't want to who don't want to follow the recommended procedures. Um, so, how can we mentally prepare to start back, being back with family and friends and in, in public places? So definitely first things first is you being clear on what you want, your wife being clear on what she wants, and then you all being clear together. Again, kind of like you're explaining it to the kids. What is our family, this house, what is our rules around this? What are our beliefs around it? 
And so getting clear on that first. So you all deciding, are we going to go right back into family functions? Are we going to taper ourselves in? So you all deciding what's comfortable for you. And then also making sure that you have things in place for if you start to feel out of control or uncomfortable because we can't control other people's houses. So you may show up thinking there's going to be five or 10 people. And then all of a sudden there's, there's 30. Is it going to be a family rule that we instantly leave or are we just going to stay and deal with it and deal with the anxiety around it? But the best thing to do is to identify that upfront between the two of you all. Mm, okay. That makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, this makes me sad that this is my last question. This has been so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we can keep talking. Well, okay. If you insist, <laughs> um, when trying to, when trying to get peace and feel informed about co about COVID-19, where, where do you recommend we go? I am a science chick. Okay. So I get my information from scientists who have, who study diseases, who study things like this, not necessarily Corona, but like doctors who were involved with HIV epidemic and, and all of that when that process happened. So I go to the scientists and I go to medical staff that I have determined I have trust with. So I have several friends and family members that are, that are doctors or nurses or they're in the medical field and I trust them. So I trust the information they're telling me. And I, I do not go and I, I no longer have the alerts turned on my phone. So I don't get alerted when there's something new. I don't, I don't get alerted about every breaking news thing. Um, I think I set the filter to where I'm only notified if there's like a terrorist attack or something directly in my county happening that I need to take cover for because getting all of that information all the time and you're getting misinformation from places just causes anxiety. So I go once a day, sometimes twice and check with like the CDC or, you know, some of the direct scientists that are talking about it. And then if my medical friends and family feel like there's something I need to know, they have permission to then text me once a day with information. But the best way that I've been able to control my own anxiety and then help other people control their anxiety is to control and limit how much we take in. Hmm. And that's with anything, not just COVID, but we need to be doing that with all information because everybody is putting a spin on, on their stuff. Yes, they are. Yes, they, yes, they are. <laughs> Won't mention yeah. any names. All of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> all of them. Oh. And so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need the extra. I don't need the buy, you know, the extra personal bias. I just want the facts. But where can a layperson such as myself go to, or where should I look for information? What, what would you suggest? I still stand on like the CDC. I still have trust there. Uh-huh. And and when I'm looking at the information, I'm just looking at the scientific facts that they're putting out. I'm not looking at number of new cases necessarily because I know and understand that those numbers can be manipulated. So I'm just looking at what is what information do they have on how it's spreading um, and how rapidly it's spreading and in ways that it's spreading because that's what's important to me. So it might be a question where you even take a step back and identify what is important to you to know. Like, what do you want to know? Mm. And then you can pick your sources. How did you wind up doing what you do? So it's a, 
to me is an interesting story. I don't know why. It just is. When I was a kid, my family used to tell me that I was very nosy. They would tell me that <laughs> that I never met a stranger and I was always asking people questions about themselves. And I remember getting in trouble as a little girl. I probably was, I don't even think I was in middle school yet. So I was probably 11, 10 or 11. But I got on the city tarp, the city bus, and rode around just to see where it went and just to see what people were doing. So I've always been into people watching. But as I got older, I wanted to be a pharmacist. And so I went to initially went to college as a chemistry major. Um, and then quickly I met my husband and then quickly realized that I didn't want to do all of that because <laughs> I wanted to hang out with him. And so, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we ended up having a baby. Um, and then I decided to try to do nursing because it was a quick degree and I, it still allowed me to kind of know what was going on with people. And I enjoyed the medical field. Um, and so I took an elective psychology course and fell in love with it. And so after that course was over, I like, I feel like I, I sprinted to the registration office to change my major to psychology. Wow. wow. And so the, the rest is that. And so now I know that my nosiness that I used to think was bad is one of the things that makes me a great therapist. Because <laughs> I'm always interested in why people are doing what they're doing. I am always interested in that, even still to this day. It's like, well, hmm, what made you do that? So How did you land on that decision? <laughs> What's the one thing you want our listener to come away with knowing after listening to this interview? I definitely always want to leave people with understanding that we all have anxiety. Um, I know we didn't get much into anxiety itself, which is my top specialty. We all experience anxiety because it is our brain and body's way of alerting us that something's happening, good or bad. So if you have symptoms of anxiety right now, it is definitely normal. We wouldn't consider it a mental health issue or an illness until you start describing that it's happening in all settings for, you know, longer than a couple of weeks. So I always want to leave people with understanding that you need parts of anxiety because that's how your body and brain communicate it's that you need to be ready, um, whether it's good or bad. And so just always remembering that and definitely take your time. Don't feel pressured to do anything too soon. Um, this is the first time in many of our lives that we actually have control over how we reintegrate ourselves into society. This is new. Like people typically don't have this. And so unless you have a job that's forcing you to, you know, get back out there and, and break social distancing, this is your chance to do it how you want. And so really take your time and determine how you want it to go. And then also know that you can change it at any moment. You can say, mm, this no longer works. I'm going to do something else. And so that's what I always like to leave people with right now. Once again, what a great interview. And I'd like to thank Brittany Johnson for her time. If you want to learn more about her, you can go to Brittany A. Johnson, LMHC.com. That's all one word. Again, it's Brittany A. Johnson, LMHC. It'll be in the show notes. Anyway, so a couple questions. What did you learn? Uh, was any of this new to you or just friendly reminders? Let me know on Twitter at Demond Does, all one word, or on the Demond Does Facebook page. Yes, I have one of those. Uh, thank you again for your time, and thank you for taking the time out to leave a five-star rating and review. That is awesome, and you are awesome. 
Next week, my guest will be licensed clinical social worker Tia Williams-Hampton. Tia is a bright and thoughtful woman and is also a family friend, so tell your friends, this will be a good one. So until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live.